Close your eyes. Give me your. I gotta get that key. Come on, come on. Give me your hand, darling. No, darling. Shut. Do you feel my heart beating? Back on track. Do you understand? Do you feel the same? Impressive. Am I only dreaming? Wow, bringing it home. Or is this burning? An eternal flame. No, I don't like how I uh, finished that, but hey, we got to at least attempt, right? It's the last episode of the year. And this is not going to be a year in review retrospective. Hey, let's relive the bullshit we just endured. None of that. I'm not interested in any of those. Year in review. Well, when Trump's taxes were revealed, the debate stress. And they were marching in the streets when the stimulus checks came and they rioted and scientists were baffled and vaccines and masks. No, let's move forward. Let's move forward. Nothing to review here. All right. And I love New Year's Eve. I actually do. It's my holiday. I go big. However, we're all going to wake up on January 1st, 2021, and it's going to feel the exact same. I hate to say that, but it's true. Until we get to 70%, 80%, 90% herd immunity. Until we get there. Until this vaccine is as easy to find and consume as Swedish fish at the checkout line at Ikea. By the way, Swedish fish, probably in my top three candies of all time. Just going to say that. Now back away from it and get back on topic. But 2020 is going to be a little extended. I think we know that, right? We always have these deadlines. And then it's going to feel different. No, no, no. We could circle the days on our calendar, though. So by January 19th, and then by February, and come March, quote, no, just survive the moment. Just survive the moment. I'm full of mantras, by the way. All right, I'm thinking let's do a long one tonight. Last one of 2020. Let's do a long one. We're going to jump around to a bunch of topics. Some very serious. Some very sentimental. Some could be nonsense. Could be a little silly. Some could be very stimulating for your mind. So some of it is going to be heavy. Some of it's going to be light. You ready? Buckle up. You in for this? All right. I am too. All right, my pals. Let us begin with a song. A song that I heard recently that connected with my corazón. That actually opened up my eyes a little bit to where I am in life. Because I'm 39. And the singer of this song I heard is also 39 years old. His name is Alfie Jervanen, and he's Canadian, and the name of his band is Bahamas. And you probably haven't heard of this band or heard this band. But I was checking out their new album, and I'd have to say it's probably my favorite band going nowadays. And how do you discover new bands? Well, there's no MTV anymore. There's no radio jams. No one's getting music from the radio Maybe Pandora, maybe Spotify, maybe iTunes. I don't know. There's a bunch of different ways streaming at you constantly. But the new album is called Sad Hunk. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. Sad Hunk. Is he? Yeah, his music's a little sad, but he seems cool. He still seems like he's getting by. But one of his songs, I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Like a mirror. The song was like a mirror. I saw myself in it.
getting long in the tooth. Hanging on to my youth. Not cool anymore. Give me a little more. Maybe I was when I was 24. Seems to me that there used to be people to see. All around me only open doors. Everyone around me seems to have forgotten all about their dreams. I guess they must have lied when they said the music died. No, the music just forgot about me. Not cool anymore. Yeah, feeling it. Absolutely feeling it. Actually, the album's not that great. It is kind of sad. I guess you gotta be in a mood for it, but that song's okay. The band is Bahamas. If you want to hear the rest. My favorite band. I don't even know if they're famous. It's weird when your favorite band is just some group you found on Spotify and you're like, are they famous? I guess they tour. I guess some people know them. Have they made it? Getting your music on the radio is no longer how you make it. That I know. That I know. It's not like the story of the Jackson 5 in their car. Michael, Marlon, Tito, Jackie, and Jermaine, and the abusive father driving, and everybody in the car heard the song, I Want You Back, and they all celebrated because Barry Gordy discovered something special. Don't you love those charming old stories? Mom and Pop radio station heading out on the city scene to find some good young talent. Hey, we're going to cut you a demo, kids. Get you a song on the air. And if your song's on the air, boom, you made it. Well, that little romantic tale doesn't exist anymore. Everybody could just upload your music nowadays. Upload it anywhere you want. Spotify. SoundCloud, iTunes. Is it easier to make it nowadays? Something goes viral? I don't know. What does making it mean? What does making it even mean? In the world of pop culture, I guess you filter all the bullshit. You filter out all the amateur hacks. And then there's still so many talented people out there. Who actually makes it? Like, what are the factors? Think about your own group of friends right now. Don't you know somebody that can sing like really well? And if they were ambitious enough and focused on that and they were discovered, couldn't they, with the proper production, be as good as most groups you hear? Or most singers out there? Think about whoever you grew up with. Didn't you know someone that could act? Someone that was in the school plays and they just had a talent? Or didn't you know somebody that was an incredible guitarist? Didn't you know somebody who was an amazing pianist when you were young? And that's just your own circle at your school. Well, that person didn't make it, right? I mean, most of us knew incredibly talented people throughout our childhoods. And then they're just, you know, like Gloria in accounting. Yeah, she has a good voice. And they just go down other paths in life. But who makes it? I guess the point is, it doesn't matter what talent you have. You got to be ambitious enough and get discovered and persevere and not care about all the sacrifices or doubters or haters or critics. Have the support of at least some family, friends, have enough funding or backing or you're not homeless throughout the pursuit of it, but who's making it? Of all the people that want to make it in the world of pop, pop, pop culture, the standards, the criteria, the parameters, I don't even truly know. But it is funny how many talented people out there are just at desk jobs nowadays. Yeah, you know, Bernard's a hell of a drummer. Bernard? Our IT guy? Yeah, he's a hell of a drummer. He's probably better than the drummer in Weezer. Bernard? Bernard? whose zipper was down at the company holiday party? Yeah, he's an amazing drummer. You guys know Sheila can rap? Really? Sheila, the receptionist? Yeah, she can spit. I mean, she has lyrics for days. Huh. And she's just a receptionist? Yup. 
At some point, she gave up on her dream. I'm not trying to be sad right now. But our world is populated with people that just gave up on the dream. And deep down, they know they got the talent. They probably watch movies and go, yeah, I'm that good. Listen to music and go, yeah, I can sing like that. I know this because I work at a high school and I see some incredible kids. Like just the most talented kids. And they're not going to be famous. Odds are they're not. Athletes too, I bet. Anybody listening to this podcast right now, think about the best athlete you've ever seen when you were growing up in your neighborhood. Think about that person. They didn't play professionally, right? Did they? Maybe. Odds are they didn't. They were just really, really good in high school. Maybe played a little bit in college, but did they actually make it? Who makes it? This world filters out so many people. I mean, it's not just ambition. It's luck. There's an element of luck to it as well. This whole dumb rant stems from me enjoying Bahamas so much and thinking to myself, God, this is so much better than any of the shit on the radio or any of the mainstream pop pop that's on SNL. Most weeks, God, the SNL musical guests, most weeks, just fast forward through that shit, right? I mean, odds are, even if you're a great actor, you're probably not going to be the next David Paymer. That's right. I just said it. David Paymer, my new favorite actor. Google him right now. P-A-Y-M-E-R. And as you see his face, you're Googling it right now, aren't you? As you see his face, what's the first movie that comes to mind? Quiz show? You know that face. This just became the David Paymer fan club. You know, there are those actors that just make you feel comfortable. When they're on the screen, you just get to sit back a little bit and go, I love that guy. I just, I just love him. He was in Mr. Saturday Night with Billy Crystal. Crystal? With Billy Crystal. He was the dad and Dave. That show about little Dickie that I loved. Probably the best show I've seen in years. He was in City Slickers. Google David Paymer right now. He's my idol. He was just in a movie my wife and I watched the other night called Sunlit Night with Jenny Slate, who I also love. And the movie was kind of good, kind of dull, good enough. Filmed in Norway. Beautiful movie. Beautifully shot. Look at David Paymer's filmography. Isn't this what you tuned in for? Howard the Duck? Searching for Bobby Fischer? Amistad? Get Shorty? Nixon? I'm Googling him now. And he looks like a bird. And I told my mom, I love David Paymer. He looks like a bird. And my mom said, a lot of our people look like birds. And I just laughed my ass off. But he's so good. Everything he says, I don't know why. It's like one of those actors. Everybody has one of those actors where you're just like, I'm going to see everything they do. I don't know why. I just love them. That's DP. DP. The hell was I talking about? Oh, I had this thought. And it connects to the Twilight Zone. If you've never seen the Twilight Zone, the original episodes from the 50s, you're doing yourself a disservice. Now, my mom's side of the family, my mom and her brothers, they love the Twilight Zone. Our family is even scheduling a viewing party for an episode that I guess hasn't even been released. I don't know. But the Twilight Zone is supposed to be scary. But one of the episodes was just sad. It wasn't scary. And it's from the 50s. And it's black and white. Anything that's supposed to be scary in black and white is scary. But this episode... It's funny, I've seen a lot of Twilight Zones. Most of them scare the shit out of me. But this one stayed with me. And it was the story of a guy who works in a bank. And as he's taking his lunch break in the bank's vault, there's a big H-bomb explosion, total destruction. Kills everybody in the world. And as he comes to consciousness after his lunch break, he realizes everything's destroyed. And he is the last man on earth. 
and he immediately thinks, okay, I guess I'll kill myself. As he gets ready to kill himself with a revolver, finds a gun. Instead, he comes across a public library with tons and tons and tons of books. And that was his dream, to just have enough time to read some books. In his busy life with his nagging wife, just never enough time. And now he sees all these books and he goes from totally depressed to totally joyful. And right as he leans over to pick up his first book, he stumbles, he falls over, and his glasses fall off. And they break, they shatter. And then he just picks up the broken glasses, realizing, oh, I can't see. I have all these books. I can't see, can never read. Credits. And you're just like, holy shit. That's a somber exit. Oddly, because the Twilight Zone is a horror series, I was expecting it to be scarier. But instead, it was just like, sad. You felt bad for the banker. For Harry Bemis. Oh, Harry. And why did I think of that? Because the other day, we were at Barnes & Noble. Still open. Just wear a mask. And Barnes & Noble, to me, it's Disneyland. Like I said, not cool anymore. God, becoming an adult, not cool anymore. You know I'm not going big for New Year's Eve. You know that. What am I going to have? A little Prosecco and fall asleep at 10.30? Oh, Boy, are you a renegade. But I go into Barnes and Noble and I go aisle by aisle just thinking, oh my God, I want to read that one day. I want to read that one day. Oh, that'd be cool to read one day. Go through the humor section, the nonfiction, the memoirs, the history, biographies, even food books, all the sports books. And I was just thinking to myself, I don't know if I have enough time in my lifetime to truly get to all of these books. Reading, it's been the best escape. I mean, really, better than any of this Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime bullshit. I mean, there's some good shows. There are some good movies. But reading has been my new diversion where I jump in. I jump in. And I thought to myself, Harry Bemis thought he had his whole life to just read uninterrupted. Know the humans. And that was his passion, reading. And even at Barnes & Noble, I got to chase around my daughter. I didn't even have enough time to read the jacket of any of the books. I really didn't have enough time to even touch a book. We just... Picked up a few Berenstain Bears books and bounced because we adopted the attention span of a three-year-old. Now we all have the attention span of a three-year-old. We just bounce around place to place, park to park, playground to playground, slide to slide, swing to swing, store to store. That's it. We hit like 11 places from 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. We go, what the hell happened? We just follow her lead. But I do. I'm so inspired to tackle so many books because you could actually feel your brain get stimulated and it makes you understand your existence even more. I mean, if you're reading the right stuff that connects with your soul, it really helps you just understand, okay, previous generations. I don't know what you read. Novels, sci-fi, memoirs, science. I don't know what you read, but you probably have the same experience, right? Where it's just so good. Like those moments where you're like, this is so good. That's why people are in book clubs. And what's the experience? What is it? Just you and your eyeballs and theater of the mind. It all unfolds in your imagination. It becomes visual in your brain and you need your eyeballs. But Harry Bemis didn't have his eyeballs anymore because his glasses shattered. Try to find that Twilight Zone. Try to find it. First, Google David Pamer. Okay. And then have that moment of, oh yeah, I know that guy. And then find that Twilight Zone episode. And then be sad and then listen to Bahamas. Not cool anymore. And think of me. And think of yourself. You know you're not as cool as you once were. You're not. I guess that's not even the goal, right though? The goal is no longer status. The goal is just survive, health, find the pearls of joy, keep your brain stimulated, seek education. Like I said, I got a lot of mantras today. 
Speaking of reading and seeking education, my dad sent me a book called Empire of the Summer Moon, and I realized how little I know about Native Americans. I don't even remember. Look, I don't want to blame my teachers, but I don't remember learning about American Indians at any phase of my life. Elementary school, middle school, high school, college, no recollection of ever learning about any of these tribes embarrassingly knew very little about Native Americans. I mean, you know the basics that they were here when the colonists and settlers and explorers arrived and said, okay, we're taking this. But this book my dad sent me called Empire of the Summer Moon by a guy named S.C. Gwynn, who's such a genius to do all this research. I don't even truly understand how he's able to write something so accurately from a few hundred years ago, but it's an epic New York Times bestseller. And I was thinking, I don't know, but I started it and it just sucked me in. It sucked me in. It's so graphic. It's so morbid. It's so disgusting. These vivid descriptions of mutilations and executions and genocide attempts. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, maybe we are not properly educated about this. Maybe Hollywood fed us cowboys and Indians and kids are taught about the old wild, wild west through pop culture, country songs and Hollywood westerns, the way Native Americans are depicted, very negative, and cowboys being the good guys right off into the sunset. These Hollywood creations have actually influenced millions of people when it comes to the story of how we expanded, how we arrived, how we expanded. And just shoved people off their land because we viewed the land differently as something to own and claim and say it's ours and you're uncivilized. You don't worship Jesus Christ. You don't dress like us. You don't understand our economy. Well, then you're inferior. And we've seen this throughout history, but it's so ugly as I'm reading it. I'm so conflicted because it's the only reason I'm sitting here right now. This house I'm in right now is on earth That was occupied by the Miwok tribe here in the Bay Area. The Miwok tribe. And then they dealt with invaders, sickness, war, massive executions, death. And their tribe has dwindled to tiny numbers. Actually, throughout the whole country, there's less than 5 million Native Americans now. And we could get into all of the acts and the laws and the wars. But really, let's just simplify it. I mean, I don't even have to read the book. There were some passages that I wanted to read right now. But... I was just learning about the Republic of Texas. Republic, that's right. Texas was its own sovereign state, its own country in the late 1830s. And after Sam Houston came a guy named Lamar, Mirabu Lamar. Lamar University is named after this guy. And this guy didn't hide the fact that he was going for an all-out genocide. He was saying, no, we're not trying to teach them how to be civilized. We're not trying to create peace. We're not trying to find them a safe space. We're trying to get rid of them. And this guy has a college named after him. And you realize the more people learn about this, and I'm talking about the younger generations, that's why you hear that they want to change school names and they want to change street names and they want to take down statues because they learn more and more here in 2020 and moving forward, 2021, 2022, there's going to be more young, perhaps inclusive-minded, liberal-minded youngsters who seek an education on how we settled this land and what our ideals were and the principles were initially. And they're going to feel bad. You do feel some guilt. It's a conflict because do I love living right here in this house? Yeah. Do I love being an American? Yeah. 
Do I love this idea of democracy? Yeah. Do I love that we won a revolutionary war against the Brits? Yeah. But the more and more I learn about how these tribes were treated in these ugly wars, you start to realize, shit. It's tough to fully celebrate our American accomplishments. You know, you don't want to be a hypocrite. You just wish humans could live harmoniously together. Even George Washington thought, yeah, let's just teach them our ways. And that in itself is just beyond racist. Yeah, well, if they start acting like us, looking like us and speaking like us, maybe we could live with them. And then more and more states are just saying, no, nah, we're going to shove them out. We need this farmland. We're going to shove them out until they were just shoved onto these reservations and barely permitted to leave and didn't even get the right to vote until what? The 1940s we're talking about by the time the first explorers came over here. You go all the way back, 1500s, 1600s, go to the 1600s until today, you're talking about 55 million around indigenous peoples just slaughtered, killed. Goodbye. That number is so staggering. Do they teach that? Maybe I was a bad student. Maybe I just forget learning that. Do they teach that though? Are we fed propaganda? I know Hollywood's happy to glorify the accomplishments of the cowboys and the old wild, wild west. Like The Revenant. That movie sucked, by the way. Leonardo DiCaprio fights a bear. Okay. In real life, the bear wins, but Leo was able to survive. And then there was a scene with arrows flying all over the place, and I guess we, the viewer, were supposed to cheer for Leonardo DiCaprio? Why? Why don't we get to cheer for the arrow being shot from a Native American tribesman? I think I was cheering for the arrow because I wanted to get out of that movie that everybody said was so amazing. Leo is just so amazing in The Revenant. Fuck The Revenant. Actually, fuck all these Westerns. Even Dances with Wolves. Fuck Kevin. (laughs) Just going off. Oh, boy. You know what? It's time for Prosecco right now. I don't know. 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 I guess the idea of being an unbiased researcher and just trying to feed the public facts and then let them analyze it, that's just the best education. There it is. School should be so fun. Now, my memories of school, I wouldn't say they were unfun, but weren't we all really just waiting for the bell to get to recess? Maybe not everybody, but that bell, oh my God, that liberating bell that allows you to exit into the world of sunshine and recess and friendship. Is there any way to restructure the world of education so all kids wouldn't even be desiring recess? I mean, we all need breaks, but to just make History class, science class, math class, English class, like the most incredible experience. Like you can't wait to go. Because all those subjects, you just say it like one by one, not as school subjects. And I'm not even insinuating that everybody was bored in school here and there, even though weren't we at times, certain subjects, certain teachers throughout the years, weren't we all kind of bored at times, just playing the game of memorize the facts to do well on the tests, elevate yourself enough to get into the right school, meet the right people, get a job, work there for 50 years, get the golden watch, and then retire, play golf, drink your Tom Collins, and then hope enough people attend your funeral and say nice things. Isn't that the American dream? I don't know. But, but, if I say those words and you don't connect them to any experience you have in your mind about them, like if I say math and some of you were bored in a math class, no, 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 no. Think about making sense of the patterns of the world. And if I say history, stop thinking. Stop thinking about a multiple choice test that you might have had and think about understanding previous generations that landed you where you are today to make sense of the world, understand all the patterns 
If I say science, I fucking love science, right? Neil deGrasse Tyson, Carl Sagan. Think about that science. Fun, right? English, literature, Barnes & Noble, all that shit. Fun. Fun. I want it to be so fun. Actually, I think it might be. One day, when we all get back and everybody gets back to campus and sports come back and dances come back and rallies come back, is there going to be this new level of appreciation where we're all just going to step up our game? Yeah? I know I've talked about this before. Or are we just going to lapse back into the same old shit that doesn't seem to evolve quick enough? All right, let's all take a breath. Let's take a step back from this one. (sighs) Try to really focus on this moment. Wherever you are listening, just focus on what's around you. Let's have a mindful moment as we get ready for a new year. This episode's about books. That's why I talked about Harry Bemis and the books that he was not able to read. But right now I'm going to read you a book. Think about this, like a book on tape. And it's a book you've heard of. It's a book you've read. It's a book that you probably own. It's a book called The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Yet, it has been said that there's so many ways to interpret this book. Like, what's the lesson? If you had to whittle it down to one lesson, what's the moral of this story? And if you've never heard or read The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, well, now's your moment. And if you truly don't give a shit, well, you're allowed to just stop listening right now. But every so often... My daughter just brings a book off the shelf that we haven't seen in a while, dusts it off. What's this? Ah, The Giving Tree. I don't even know if it's a kid's book. I mean, the illustrations are not stimulating. The story's kind of got some depth. Are kids picking up on this? Although my daughter seems to enjoy it. I think she picks up on the fact that I enjoy it. But let me just take you through The Giving Tree. And then at the end, if you stay with me, and then at the end, just ask yourself, what's the message? I'll answer the same question. And then at the very end, take a look at that Shel Silverstein author photo. Yikes, right? I mean, great guy, but whoa, that photo is brutal. Looks scary. Looks like he's morphing into a werewolf. If you look at the Shel Silverstein author photo on the back of The Giving Tree, it looks like he's saying, like he's about to bite you in the neck. But... As I digress, the giving tree. And I'll explain. I'll explain what's going on. The visualizations. And you might cry, and that's okay. All right. Once there was a tree. Just a picture of a tree. And she loved a little boy. There's the little boy's leg. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves. And make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk. He's now shoeless. And swing from her branches. And eat apples. And they would play hide and go seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree. Very much. And the tree was happy. On the tree, there's a little carving. It says, me plus tea. The kid carved me plus tree. But time went by. He's grown up hit puberty, and the boy grew older. Now he's carved his initials with the girl's initials. And the tree was off and alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come, boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and be happy. I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy some things and have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. 
I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you'll have some money, and you will be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away, and the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time, and the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back, and the tree shook with joy, and she said, Come, boy, come climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy, now looking like he's in his early sixties. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife, and I want children, and so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. And now he's elderly. I'm too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy, but not really. It's just a stump. And after a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You can't climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump, I'm sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. The end. And then Shel Silverstein photo, if you want nightmares. But there's something about this book. I don't get emotional that often. I mean, I feel emotions all the time, but you know what I mean. Sentimental, choked up. Doesn't happen to me that often. I actually wish it did. But something about that book. Is it obvious? What's it about? That maybe a lot of us are overthinking our lives and adding unnecessary pressure instead of just enjoying what's right in front of us. Is that it? Maybe that we need to connect with our inner child? Maybe. Like tomorrow, you probably have a lot of plans. You probably have a lot of plans. Maybe some stressful things going on. But what if you did? Just climb a tree. And if you were present in that moment, just climbing a tree, holy shit, would that be great? That'd be great for your psyche, for your emotional state. We all grow up. But maybe, maybe, occasionally returning to what made us happy in its purest form. Many, 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 many years ago still exists and we just overlook it sometimes. Because we add new stresses and we add new pressures and we add new worries. We don't do this intentionally, are you kidding me? That's why so many people seek respite. They seek therapy. So many people are downloading these apps, these meditation apps. There's a reason it's so popular. But you read a little children's book like that and it kind of makes you take a step back. There's some depth to that book. You could interpret it any way you want. A relationship with a parent. Maybe a lot of us seem ungrateful for all the many things that were given to us. Maybe it's a reminder to just call. Call your folks and say, hey, thanks. Even if it sounds forced. Hey, I just uh, 
read The Giving Tree, so thanks. But maybe there's something I'm missing. I also like that feeling. When it comes to anything in the arts, poetry, music, literature, I like hearing other people's interpretations. I don't like thinking like, I got it figured out. Because you know what? I don't. I'm just coming at it from my own viewpoint. If you haven't noticed by now, even though I'm quite a windbag on these podcasts, I'm inquisitive. I want to know what my friends are thinking, what my family's thinking. How many people are inquisitive just naturally? Would you say the majority of people or very few? Do you run into more know-it-alls or people that are seeking knowledge? I would say you run into more know-it-alls. And that's the big fucking problem with the United States of America. Oh yeah, let's rant. Let's just rant right now. All right, I'll end with this. Oh, God. I did just want to say one thing. So going back to all this reading I've done about the Native Americans and almost feeling a little ashamed that I didn't know so much about all of these tribes and what they endured and how many soldiers just willingly and happily stormed into their land and said, this is ours now. And it's ugly. And the millions that were killed, so ugly. But it also makes me realize that what's happening currently is not a surprise. Nobody should be shocked by this, that so many groups are marginalized or so many people in this country don't feel welcome because maybe their views are not white views, white Christian views, which is the norm. I know it's like the majority, but still inclusivity is missing in this country. And it always has been because the earliest principles that were set up in a country that was trying to be more of a mosaic than a melting pot turned into basically just one singular vision and everybody else trying to get a piece of the pie, but the pie was already being eaten heavily by the big fat cats who were writing the Constitution. Okay, here's the last thing. Brie cheese. Why did I write down this bullet point? I know, because as a kid, I'd be the guy. I'd be that little child that went for the middle. And everybody would go, oh boy, there's Josh going for the middle of the brie. And I figured, okay, I guess when you're older, you eat the edges. Well, guess what? The other night, my wife and I had a nice brie, had a bite of the edge. It's still fucking disgusting. Who's eating all of the brie? Aren't we all just carving out the middle? Aren't we all just going for the good stuff? Or are we pretending as we become adults that we actually like the crust? That disgusting, tastes like mold, kill me now crust. I hear my dog clickety clacking. Hold on, I gotta let him in. I'm in his room technically. All right, all right, all right. I'm back. You good, Muggs? All right. You're just in time for the brie cheese rant. I think it's over. I think I lost my steam on the brie cheese rant. It was supposed to be good, but this old dog interrupted. And that's what he's good at. Three times a night I wake up to let him out. Makes me fully understand why there's so many movies about close relationships with your dogs. So many books. It's not just Marley and me. There's so many books like Marley and me. All right, enough of that. Brie cheese. Does anyone eat the crust? Uh, I need another food rant. How about hard-boiled eggs? My least favorite activity in the kitchen. Peeling hard-boiled eggs. God, I'm ending weak. How am I going to end a year of podcasts with a hard-boiled eggs rant? But it's true, right? And I still don't like the yolk. And my little three-year-old daughter doesn't like the yolk. And I tell her, yeah, but eat it. You get strong. That's where the protein is. But I'm such a hypocrite because I don't like the fucking yolk. You like the yolk? No, you don't like the yolk. You mash it into egg salad with the mayo. Speaking of mayo, sadly, I love it too much. Will I put it on a hot dog? Yes. Will I put it on my toast with avocado? Yes. Will I use too much with tuna salad? Yes. Do I use too much with chicken salad? Yes. Do I love it with eggs? Yes. What do you call it? Egg salad? Yes. 
What is the main ingredient in mayonnaise? Eggs. So what are you really doing? Mixing eggs with eggs. All right. Episode 22. Let's all just enjoy the sound of Muggsy coughing. And let's stay healthy in 2021. Drop a rating on iTunes if you get a chance. And have yourself a happy new year. Much love. Episode 122. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon.